Okay, so we're going to go old school this morning. We don't have any slides, and the reason for that is yours truly was tearing up floors all week. All right, and then Zach came and helped me, and then he ran around yesterday doing the pork for the barbecue today after we do the family meal together. So we're going old school. You'll need your Bibles or your electronic device, whichever you prefer, and you're going to, you're going to go with me, and we're going to do this together. I want to give you some follow-up materials. Um, if you want to read farther on this, and it's, it's picked your interest. There's three books that I would recommend right off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more, but the first one would be Rediscovering Holiness by J.I. Packer. Any of you have ever read J.I. Packer, brilliant writer, and uh, he uh, does a great job on Rediscovering Holiness. That's the title of his book. And then the classic is The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. has been out there for quite a while, and if you've never read that, it is a very worthwhile read uh, for anybody. And then the last one, if you're looking at holiness and, and particularly the perspective of God's holiness, what encompasses it, I would uh, recommend The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. So those three I would recommend to you. Take a look if you want to take those far. So grab your Bibles, First Peter. We're in chapter 1. We're looking at verses 14 and 16 to start off with. And it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And uh, I've been getting, we've been getting a lot of response off of this series. And, and wrestling. one friend wrote me this week, and he gave me permission to use this. He said, I've really appreciated your series on First Peter and enjoyed the last sermon on holiness. I'm not sure what your plans are for this Sunday, but if you continue the topic... Where do we draw the line between imputed holiness from Jesus' death slash resurrection and personal holiness, which comes from our actions and what we do don't allow in our lives? The commandment, be holy, implies action on our part, but how do we prevent ourselves from sliding into religious actions to obtain a holiness on our own? He says, I find for myself this is a battle uh, that fights into turning to not turning into legalism. Right? And... Uh, some of you, if you've been in those kind of traditions and sort of things where if you do all the right things, then you're holy, right, kind of thing. And so uh, it's a very valid question. And the question is how much of holiness is us, of us and how much of holiness is of God? And, and there's several different camps when it comes to holiness. Um, one camp says that it's, it's all dependent on God. So just sit back, relax, trust, and he will do it all. Just wow, right? And another camp says, no, no, no. It's totally dependent on our obedience because we're talking about inheritance here. And so it's a dependent on our obedience and it has to do with self-will and discipline and, and following through on what the Lord has asked us to do. Another camp says it all has to do with thinking. Uh, if, if you think differently, if you change the way you think, then you'll act differently. And so uh, just it's, it's incumbent to think differently uh, about holiness. And another one uh, says that um, if you conform on the outside, the inside will follow right along, right? In other words, if you practice the outside stuff, then the inside will just line up. Uh, most of us know that one doesn't hunt very well, right? So, uh, and there's another camp that would just say, hey, when you're in Christ, you've been made perfect, right? So there's all these different camps of, of holiness. Uh, where would you land? I found that it's uh, the best answer to that is that it's an and both. It's within the tension of those. Uh, let me give you a working definition of holiness. 
Holiness, trust totally as if it all depends on God and surrender obediently as if it all depends on you. Let me say that again. Trust totally as if it all depends on God when it comes to holiness. Trust totally as if it all depends on God. Surrender obediently as if it all depends on you. Now, why would I say that? Well, let me take you to an Old Testament illustration because there's some places where this parallels. If you take your, your Bibles and turn to Exodus 23... This is where God is bringing them into the promised land. And so he's saying, hey, you've come out, we're in the desert, now we're going into the land. And when you come into the land, you're going to have to take possession of it. And he says some very specific things about uh, taking possession of it. In Exodus 23, starting with verse 29, he says, I will not drive them out. This is the other nations that are already there. So I will not drive them out before you in a year, lest the land become desolate and wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. They were told they were given the land. God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that that would be the land that their descendants would dwell in. And they go, awesome, just give it to us. By the way, what are all these other tribes and nations doing there? And why, why, they, they didn't just pack up their bags and leave. So we got a problem here. And God says, yeah, I know. But if you just keep with it, I will drive them out little by little. You stay with the process and you'll take over the whole land. And the whole land, by the way, was to be from uh, the Red Sea down to uh, the Mediterranean Sea to the Dead Sea up to uh, the Euphrates River. So a huge area. And what you find is with that, they never took that area completely. If you read through the book of um, Joshua, you'll find out in the book of Judges that they didn't take all the land. And the tribes kind of went, well, we don't like our slot or allotment. And, and one tribe kind of wandered around, 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 hoping to find his place and, and kind of didn't know where to settle because they didn't like what the Lord had given them. And this is a really good parallel uh, for us when it comes to holiness. Because what we want is the American version of instant holiness. God, dump on me, dump the Holy Spirit on me, add a little water, pop it in a microwave, and a minute later, I'm holy. Right, And it should be easy and I will just cruise through life being holy. And what you find instead is that God says you are holy now. You're going to have to take the land. Only here it's not physical land. It's the land of your mind. It's the land of your spirit. It's the land of your heart. And that can prove to be an incredible, uh, different, uh, incredibly difficult territory to try and take over. And so uh, why? In other words, when, when it comes to this, What's God after? Why doesn't he just make us instantly holy? Why didn't he just give them the land? You know, God could have just blown and knocked everybody into the Mediterranean Sea and said, okay, here's the land, it's yours. And Why doesn't he do that? And I want to suggest that God sees great benefit in us learning from hardships and difficulties that come our way. Any of you notice that? He doesn't, those aren't eliminated in our life because we're Christian, matter of fact, in some places and times, it actually feels like those come into play because we're Christian. And there's things that get developed. The character that's developed, the endurance and perseverance that are developed, the patience that is learned. We've all had fun learning that one, right? Patience. Uh, developing a fortitude that can withstand the changing winds of circumstances and, uh, that come around us. And the holiness that God so dearly desires in us all seem to be profoundly valuable to him, profoundly important. 
that he watches how we engage in this process of holiness very closely. To the opposite of we often feel like he's far away, that he is very closely watching and monitoring the steps of how we're doing in this process. Al Robert and I were talking last week after Alpha. We were out in the lobby and he was telling me that uh, we were talking about the, the part of the Alpha was why does God allow suffering, right, that topic. And um, Al was talking and saying that he had come to see the difficult things that come his way as life assignments from the Lord. And he says, I, I have a conversation with the Lord. And he says, Lord, these are, this is difficult. I, I don't really want to do this. And he goes, I know, but uh, you can. I've equipped you to do it. So I'm asking if you would shoulder this and take this on. And he says he's come to see it as assignments being asked by the Lord and that in the Lord he's capable and able of carrying them out. But he says he finds he's stretched in places that he really doesn't like to be stretched in ways he doesn't really like to be stretched. But he says as he's seen it, that these Difficult things that, he's, that he goes through become avenues for holiness. They become learning more about him and being holy and more about God and how God is holy. So go back to First Peter where it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's a very fancy way of saying the way you used to sin. Don't go back to the way you used to sin. Keep moving forward towards the kingdom. And Peter's drawing on his knowledge from the Old Testament uh, if you take your bulletin this morning and look at the front, you say, how would you know that? You'll find on the front here is a quote from Leviticus. And it's the exact same quote that Peter uses in First Peter because that's where Peter pulled it from. He's drawing from his knowledge of the Old Testament. Now, Leviticus is not the book most of us usually go to if we're going to have a quiet time, right? We, uh, that's kind of one of those books like, why did God even put this in here because it's a bunch of these and that's and do this this way and build that this way and but if you look at the book the whole book is about holiness when you look at it through that lens it really jumps and comes alive because you're starting to realize god was talking about a people that would be different a, a different people and he was warning them uh, to not become like the nations around them they were not to be like the egyptians that's where they came out of they weren't to be like them, to do the practice they did. And they were not to be like the Canaanites, the land they were going into. Uh, they were not to take on their gods or do, those, do the things that they did in worship and sacrifice. And through the whole book of Leviticus, what you realize, there's three major strands that are woven together. If you look at verses 18 to 20, or chapters 18 to 22, we won't this morning, 18 to 22, it's all about holiness. Holiness with the priests, holiness with the tabernacle, holiness with the sacrifices, holiness for the redemption of sin. It, it, it covers all of that. And there's three primary areas that God talks about. He talks about worship, he talks about service, and he talks about sexuality. And I want to suggest that those three chords can be interwoven together and they either form a really strong cord and rope or they, they form enormous impurity, an enormous debauchery, an enormous destruction uh, woven together. And it all depends how they're woven together, and God knew that. Let me give you an illustration of how that works. So what happens is if worship goes sideways, like for Israel, God did not want them to worship the way the Egyptians did or the way 
the Canaanites did. And that's because a lot of their worship uh, revolved around pagan rites, which included uh, sexual orgies and things like that. God was looking for uh, holiness in his people. And so if they worshiped that way, they would immediately tip into um, twisted sexuality. And then their sacrifices would all go sideways so that they would actually practice uh, human sacrifice and other things that these nations did. So worship would go sideways, sexuality would go sideways, and then uh, sacrifice would go sideways. If they practiced the sacrifices, their sacrifices would go, if they practiced the other nations, then, then they would, those would go to the gods of the other nations. And again, if they did that, then it would twist. And if they went sideways in their sexuality, then their worship and uh, their sacrifice would kick off. That works the same way today as it did back then. Right? Why are the, the churches not packed out? Why Now, this morning is a pretty good crowd, right? Um, but you're all junior high parents and got an extra sleep in this morning. But, um, they, but why, aren't you, why are thousands and thousands and thousands of upon 10,000s of arenas packed for football, but not church. Well, there's a good reason for that. We don't want to be holy, okay? Because we like the idea that we can get away with some stuff. And most of us like a little holiness and a little sin, right? And if we can just keep a little holiness and a little sin balanced, then it's all good because I get to dabble in both and then it, it works, right? I got one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, and, and it kind of works. And what you find out, though, is that it doesn't work for very long because there's a pull to it, and once it starts to pull, it tips. Uh, for example, worship. Why would I want to come on Sunday for worship? That's my day of rest. God doesn't need rest. He's eternal. I need rest. I've taken it off from Sunday. I'm not getting up in the morning. Right, And so if my worship goes sideways, why would I give to something I don't go to? Right, So then my giving goes sideways. Well, then if my giving goes sideways, then uh, as, as I'm looking, then I can go and I can say, well, if I don't go to church, if I don't give to church, if I'm not paying attention, then what's available to me? And on the Internet, what's available to you? Everything. Most of which is twisted and much of it which leads to twisted sexuality. So we go, I, I want to play, and so we, we go out and we play. The same thing is true about uh, sacrifices. Why would I give God my best? I can barely make ends meet. And is that what God's all about? Is God just wants my money? And I, I don't want to give him my money. And if you read the sacrifices, they were supposed to give animals that were unblemished, not crippled, not uh, you know, in any way deformed. And they finally got tired of that. And if you read towards the book of Malachi, they were giving crippled and wounded and broken animals. And God says, hey, give them to your governor. See if he'd be happy with it. Right? I.e., it it was burdensome to do what the Lord wanted. It was a pain. It was like, oh my gosh, some more. And so they, they didn't want to give their sacrifices. Well, when you don't give your sacrifices, how well do you worship? You're all connected to your heart, right? And, and so that went sideways. What's amazing, if your, worship, if your sacrifice and your worship go sideways, your sexuality goes sideways too. Okay? And in our culture, people are running, going crazy with sexuality. And what are we saying? Everybody's doing it. Right? So it's, 
it's freedom. We can run. We can do what we want. Let's go, go, go. Why do churches not fill? Because people don't want to be holy. Holiness. Oh, boring, dull. Uh, oh, Father, you're so not there, but I worship you anyways. Okay, holiness. Okay, kind of thing. And that's not what God's after at all. But these three do wave and, and they do connect to each other. Here's the old maxim. Either your theology dictates your morality or your morality dictates your theology. Now what we'll do is we're going to look at the idea side of holiness uh, we did last week and this week. And then next week what we're going to do is do the shoe leather side. Okay, Practical, how does it work out? And we'll take a look together and lay stuff out for us. But for this morning, as we're looking at it, our theology either dictates our morality or our morality dictates our theology. In other words, what I believe about God sets the standards for how I act. Notice in that Peter passage it says, so that you may be holy in all your conduct. It's talking about your actions. Or I want to change it so I want to do stuff different, so I'll change my theology so that I can practice my morality and make it fit. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. If you would turn there, Ephesians 4. We'll start in verse 19. While you're looking there, there's a list of how people got to this stage right before that. And it's interesting to read through that list. And one of the things I'd encourage you to do is take that list and go backwards. Here's the end. Here's how they wound up this way. How did they get that way? Go the steps backwards. And it's really interesting to watch the progression. But in verse 19, Paul says, If they have all become calloused, Callous at working on floor again this week, so I've actually got calluses again, right? Callous, I can't feel it. I can't hear you. I can't. You're not getting through, right? It says our, our hearts become calloused. We become hard. So they've all become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. And notice here, it says greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I'm reading a book right now that says happiness is a serious issue. And uh, in the book, he talks about our insatiable nature. How no matter what we dump into it, we can't fill. No matter what you do, it's never enough, right? And that a large part of our dissatisfaction with life and dissatisfaction with happiness is not what we have, because we have good stuff. It's just the fact that we could have more, right? John Rockefeller, they asked him one time, how much money is enough money? He says, one dollar more, right? But do you ever get the one dollar more, right? It it, you can't fill the hole. And Paul is saying here they practice sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not how you learn Christ. Jesus is significantly and fundamentally different. That is not how you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former man of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Jeremiah says our hearts are deceptively wicked. You ever have your own heart lie to you and tell you what you needed then later realize you lied to yourself? Right? It says that deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind so you put on the new self. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So when we're talking about the likeness of God, what are we talking about here? Look at what Paul says. The likeness of God in true righteousness and... What's the word? Holiness. So this changes the paradigm a little bit. Because if it's just to come to church and be a good person, right? Good high school student, good youth staff person, good parents, uh, whatever. 
and I, I need to come and I uh, throw a buck in the bucket so that they see me do it. And I come to church and I've, I've given God my bones, so now I'm free to go and do what I want. And that's the Christian life. Nothing more is expected of me. Versus I am to become holy. In other words, I'm to become like, we often say we need to become like Jesus. What does that mean? I have to become holy. And that it's weighed out in the end in holiness. That changes the paradigm really quickly because the question then is not what are my outward practices, but how much do I actually look like Jesus? How much do I actually, have I actually become like him? There's this emphasis in the Bible of putting off the old self and putting on the new self, which is in the likeness of Christ. And we have to reiterate, Jesus is holy as a person. Um, Look at 1 Thessalonians. It ties this together in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we covered this last year when we were going through 1 Thessalonians, but good renewal reminder again. Verse 1, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God just as you are doing. Good job. You're here this morning. You are doing. Right? So he's talking about other people who aren't. But you're doing. He says, just as you're doing that, you do so more and more. So the idea is no matter how far we've gone, lean towards what God's asked you to become in holiness. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Instructions from the Lord Jesus are not uh, questions or suggestions, right? Jesus is asking us to do them. We'd call them commandments. It says, for we know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Senior high students, you ever said, man, if I just knew the will of God, if, I, if he would just tell me what he wants to do with my life, I'd do it, right? Oh, that'd be so cool. And, and you hear adults say that all the time as well. Boy, if I just knew God's will, right? You ever talk to somebody, even people who don't go to church and go, man, I just wish I knew what I was supposed to do with my life. You hear that? Well, here's God's will. It says your sanctification. We're going to look at sanctification next week in the process of it. But your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And Paul's talking about how holiness is connected to our conduct, connected to our body, connected to our sexual practices. And the illustration he uses is how to treat your body. And I often use the illustration of in your house, you probably have Rubbermaid garbage cans, right? Target, Walmart, whatever. You go and get, right, eight bucks, ten bucks. You buy a Rubbermaid garbage can. You fill it up with all kinds of junk and trash and take it out or you make your kids take it out and they dump it out and then they wash it out and kick it back down the hallway. And right, if it breaks, what do you do? You go back to Walmart or Kmart and get another garbage can and away you go again, all right? Because it's made to carry garbage. Also in your home, you probably have some fine china. Do you kick fine china down the hallway? No. By its very nature, it is distinguished from a Rubbermaid garbage can. Now, which is stronger the Rubbermaid garbage can or the fine china? The Rubbermaid garbage can. Which is more valuable? The fine piece of china. And the whole illustration here that's Paul using, that Peter's using in First Peter, is treat your body like a piece of fine china. Don't treat it like a Rubbermaid garbage can. 
And he's saying that's the way the pagans treat it. A pagan's just a person who doesn't believe in God. How does a pagan do it? Well, a pagan says we're animals and we should act like animals, so we will do what animals do and we'll breed the way we want to and do sex the way we want to and there are no laws and we are our own laws and we'll set it up and we do it and we treat our body like a Rubbermaid garbage can. Dump whatever you want into it. Scripture says, no, no, no. You're fine china. You're fine china. Treat it as holy. Okay? Use, there is a creator who created you, who created the whole gift of sex, and use it the way he said. Keep it in the confines that he said. That's why it says, keep the marriage bed undefiled. It's really saying what? Keep the marriage bed holy. Right? So, when you look at this, this is tied to, uh, then this passage goes on and talks about the fact that, it says, don't cheat or wrong or defraud. Um, Don't rip each other off this way. Because if you do that, it creates massive problems. And one of the problems it creates is that God becomes the avenger in this whole deal. He comes in to right the wrong. So a wrong's been committed. It's God who writes the wrong. So here's the catch-22 if you're a Christian. If you're sinning sexually, when you're praying, the very guy you're praying to is the guy coming after you to right the wrong. Heck of a catch-22. Okay, I've been there. Anybody else been there? Woohoo! No, you're, oh, you guys are clean. You're holy. Yeah, it's a, it's a predicament, right? And so Paul's saying, and Paul's saying, if you reject this, if you reject this teaching on sexual holiness, he says, if you reject this teaching, you're not rejecting man, but God who gives you His holy what spirit. Notice it's the Holy Spirit. We we use that name like my name, Steve Mitchell's Holy Spirit. So we don't think much about it. We don't pull it apart, but it is the spirit of holiness, this Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes in our life, he comes in to clean us, to wash us. Uh, We were at prayer this morning and Dave Reber, God gave him the illustration. uh, We were praying about holiness. He says, you know, it's just like when my kids were little. He said they were tiny little kids and they didn't even know how to wash, but we'd bath time and you wash them and they got all clean and it was so much fun. And it's that same picture of God and His Spirit washing us and cleaning us up so that we could be holy, right? Look at holiness, uh, how it's talked about. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to the, the tone of these. Exodus 15, Moses is writing about God's holiness. He says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? In other words, stunning in holiness. Awesome and glorious, and glorious deeds doing wonders. First Chronicles 16 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In other words, you know what's going to make heaven wild? Is holiness. It's going to be so pure, so cool, so different. We, we don't have a category for it right now. And it says it's so full of splendor, we will marvel at it for all eternity. Okay, Hard to marvel at purity when you're polluted. And we don't realize how much the fall has damaged our filter. Look at Ezekiel 26. It's hard to grasp from our level how important this is to God. But let me show you an illustration where God points out why this is so important to him. This is, so Israel takes on the land. God says, don't be like the Egyptians. Don't be like the Canaanites. Don't take on their practices. Don't worship. Don't do their sacrifices. Don't follow their sexual practices. But Israel did. And they got so polluted that God says, you know what? You're worse than the nations I took you out of. 
That's pathetic. So, okay, out you go. And so they got exiled to Babylon. And God says, you know what? I'm going to do something that's going to make everybody's ears tingle. I am going to change the game right here. We're going to, we're going to light this thing up, and I'm going to do something that will just make people go, whoa, never saw that coming. And he says, but I want you to know something. When I do that, Israel, it's not going to be because you were so righteous or you so had your act together. Matter of fact, in many ways, it's almost in spite of you. Look at Ezekiel 26. Start with verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that am I about to act, but for the sake of, what does it say there? My holy name. How important is God's name to him and how important to it that God's name is treated as holy? By the way, one of the great admonitions we'll look at next week, great admonitions in Scripture is to not swear in the name of the Lord, to treat God's name as holy. We'll talk more about that next week. But, He says, I'm going to do it because of my holy name. Watch how much holiness is used in this passage. I'm going to do this for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. A lot of people mentioned me last week. He said, wow, Steve, your prayer really caught my attention because I said, God, we're profane, you're holy. People said, wow, that was kind of intense. And I go, yeah, I pulled it right from this passage. He says, you've profaned my name among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. In other words, holiness really matters to God. It's a big topic to him. It's one of the drivers in his paradigm and his equation of the kingdom and so god's saying here i'm going to pull you back i'm going to make you a nation again not because of what you did but because i am going to exalt my name the holiness of my name you know i think we're at the same place in history again Uh, i think if god does something if there's a revival breaks out there will be a revival because god is interested in preserving the holiness of his name it's probably not going to be because the church is so hot right now right you know, the American church is really kind of paralyzed in a lot of ways. And uh, we seem to be just spinning our wheels and not really gaining any traction or going anywhere. And it's not because the church is so holy that God will come back and do something spectacular. If he comes back and does something spectacular, probably going to be because he, again, like this passage, is going to vindicate the holiness of his name. And so when we're looking at this, as we wrestle with this i want to show you two more places this morning and then next week we'll come back and we'll um uh, look at the practical shoe leather side go to romans chapter one romans is a phenomenal book it's often been called the mini new testament and uh people spend all their lives in romans and spend their time memorizing romans and uh is uh, much of what we know about theology and god comes from the book of romans And Paul sets the the tone right in the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. In Romans 1, 3 and 4, it says, Concerning his son. So Paul's argument is that this whole book is set up concerning his son. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. In other words, even Jesus's Uh, affirmation of son of God, his death on the cross and his resurrection was accomplished by a spirit of holiness. 
by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This, again, spirit of holiness is woven in there. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We were in 4 earlier, but look at what precedes it in chapter 3. In chapter 3, the end of the chapter is what precedes the first eight verses we looked at just a few minutes ago. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, it says, Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that, you may, that he may establish your hearts blameless in what? Holiness. There's this tie, and you see it right here. First, what's Paul's injunction? Pray that you'd glow and abound in your ability to love for each other and for all. And then that's tied to being blameless in our hearts for holiness. You know, it's interesting. Uh, it's easier to love if your hearts are pure. Right? It's easier to love the way God wants you to love if your heart's pure. It's hard to love right when you have uh, crooked or competing motives within your heart. And so God ties the ability to love well with the idea of doing holiness well. They're, they're not inseparable. And so Paul is saying here, holiness before our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Again, it's rolling out at the end. Holiness is going to be revealed at the end time. So if you think through the judgment in terms of holiness, it's really sobering. And this is where I'm talking in over my head, okay? So high school students just know that. Like, you know, the pastor's always got it all together, right? And he's perfect and you're not, and he tells you how to be perfect, and someday you hope to be like him, okay? No, not so much, all right? Um, This is where I realize, wow, I, I have a lot of things down in terms of, Jesus and salvation and that kind of stuff. But when I start measuring it by holiness, I'm in the ditch with you, right? I'm in the ditch with you. And I realize my pursuit of God is often hindered because of my perception of what holiness means. Because to me, somehow, and I don't know where I got this idea, but in my carnal nature, holiness is boring. Holiness is fuddy-duddy. Holiness is kneeling for 24 hours and praying and uh, my goodness, God, aren't you awesome? And that's what we get to do for eternity. Boy, that sounds really bad. I don't know about you guys. That does not sound like a great time to me. And so I realize I have a twisted concept of holiness and that a large part of what God's been doing in my life these some 35 years that I've known it is trying to straighten the twist out And what I found is the twist is far more resistant and far more layered than I would ever give it credit to be. And how do I know that? Because when I measure it against holiness, I see how far I come short. So I'm talking way over my head here in terms of uh, possessing holiness. I can tell you of holiness, and I'm sure I've come a long way in holiness. But I know I have a lot farther to go. And the, the farther to go looks daunting to me. All right? So I, I share that with you because I'm sure that's probably your same struggle. Is It's been a bigger thing to grab. You ever grab something and it starts throwing you around instead of you throwing it around? That holiness is kind of like that. And so next week we're going to come back and look at the practical shoe leather aspects of it. But for this morning, I want you to think about how far have you gotten in holiness? Often we'll say, how far have you gone in faith? Well, it takes great faith to be holy. 
Do you really believe Jesus is enough? Remember last week we said Jesus is his own reward? That's what real, the end result or the end reward of holiness is, is Jesus. Okay. How far have we gotten in our journey with holiness? It's a profound thought. We'll spend more time on it. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, wrestle with this and think about it, there's a fair amount of conviction and apprehension in the room, rightfully so, because when we come up against you, we fall far short. And Lord, there's no way you can take this theme and pack it into 35 minutes. Uh, It's an overwhelming task. But I pray this morning, laying it out, we've laid out two things. Number one, your holiness and the holiness of your name really matters to you. It's a really big deal. And that our holiness matters to you. But if we got those two things, you have a lot of ground to work with. You can have a lot of conversation this week. You can uh, highlight areas. And I, I will bet you will highlight things this week, Lord, as we spend time with you, that when we walk in next week, you will have already told people what we're going to say next week. And we will have known it's you because you will have known it ahead of time. So we eagerly look forward to next week and anticipate how you'll lay it out. And we ask for your favor in that. But may we get caught up in what does holiness mean and have a conversation with you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.